This week, I continue my series, The Post 2020 Neo Church, and this episode being unbranded. In other words, Christians working in unity despite their differences. That's possible, right? That's a real thing, isn't it? I'm not just making that up. I think it has to be a real thing. This is Church 2060. Are you ready? Welcome to the Church 2060 podcast, where we talk about all things church, where we've been, what we've learned, and where we're going. I'm Mike Brewer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Church 2060 podcast. Thank you so much for listening. After a short break, we are back and we are continuing the series, the post-2020 Neo Church, taking a look at what the church should look like coming out of this crazy, unexpected year of 2020. The 2020 has brought us a lot of things, but I think what it's done the most is shine a light on issues within the church, which is what this podcast is here for anyways. And we want to take a look and continue to take a look at what needs to change coming out of this year as we try to engage the culture and fix issues that we have within our own house. Today, I want to talk about unbranding and what it looks like to be a church that tears down branding walls and tears down territorial lines and works together. I want to start with a story, uh, and you probably remember this. Some of you may not, because we are going back a few years, going back to when Ronald Reagan was president. Yes, I know this dates me because I know this story. Uh, I remember Ronald Reagan becoming president, and I didn't know all of this at the time because I was a kid, but I, I was odd and into politics. But Reagan inherited a rather large unemployment rate. We're talking like 15%. And the misery index was even higher. And when Reagan got through, he spent eight years as president. When he got through, things were a lot better. It wasn't a perfect presidency by any means, but these crazy things like a 15% unemployment, we did get through. And interestingly enough, Reagan didn't do it on his own. I know we like to think that we, if we elect our guy, that he'll solve all of our problems, no matter who's on the other side of the aisle. But... The truth was, there was this guy named Tip O'Neill who was a Democrat, and he was the Speaker of the House. And the difference between now and then was Tip O'Neill would fight all day for what he believed in. So would Ronald Reagan. But they both had the same end game, right? They both cared about the country. They both cared about not just an agenda or a platform, but they cared about things getting better for the country. And they would fight all day, healthy fighting, not not some of the nonsense we see now, but healthy fighting. And at the end of the day, they would get together and have drinks, spend some time together. Now, their son has said in recent years that they weren't exactly friends But they were willing to put the time in to figure out what the problem was, to figure out how to fix this. The interesting thing was they did fix it. Now, again, things weren't perfect. But when you have a 15% unemployment rate and you're able to change that to an acceptable unemployment rate and an economy that's moving forward in the positive, that's a huge undertaking. And they did it. And they did it being on opposite sides of the table, working together to move forward. That's huge. You would never see something like that today. And I hate to bring up politics, but you you know the, the political climate we have now. It's nothing but fighting. It's nothing but resist. It's nothing but deny. It's nothing but move forward, whether you're right or wrong, because your side is the right side, right? That's politics today. There isn't any, let's work together and get something done. That's just gone. I don't know if we'll see that again, but it was around. Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan proved that even in the worst of times... 
it could be done. Now, that leads me to what I want to talk to you today. When you, when you look at the church today, you see something very similar to politics, right? You see churches that refuse to work together. You see pastors that are in competition. You see churches that will rebuke another church for planting a church too close to their building, right? That, that, a church right down the street, a few miles down the street, they will get rebuked and told that they are not welcome. That's the state of church today. Or even worse, the, the, the idea that because another denomination does something a little bit different, despite the fact that we're all Jesus followers, because they do something a little bit different and that's not our way, we decide we can't work together with them. That's the state of the church today. And honestly, that's part of the reason why the church is in so much decline. When you look at a decline rate of 80 to 85 percent, there has to be several reasons, right? That has to be part of the issue because we refuse to work together despite the fact that we're all Jesus followers. Now, obviously, this is not what Jesus had in mind, right? Jesus didn't even come here really to start a new religion, right? Jesus came here to establish the kingdom here on earth. And things have gotten distorted, right? And I'm going to read to you something Jesus said about his followers. And when you read it, if you just open your eyes for a second and not think about a single church that you're involved in or your denomination, but you think about the church as a whole, we're talking the, like the big C church, the Christian church, the church that follows Jesus Christ. You'll see there's a stark contrast between what Jesus is saying and what the church has turned into today. And I'm telling you today that as we come through the year 2020, not only has the has the decline been going on for decades, but we get to this year and then we suddenly face the fact that we couldn't meet together in a building for the first time. That the government said, no, you cannot meet. And in some places, even though that went against what the Constitution would say, the government still stepped in and said, you cannot meet. And what did the church do in response to that? Some fought, some fought the government and ultimately lost because the government just said, we're going to turn your power off. But what did most churches do? Most churches shut their doors, learned how to make an online service, and called it a day. That's it. That's what they did. That's what, that's what happened across the board. And some places got really good at making online services. But all that really did was expose a real problem that we have. Instead of coming together as Jesus's followers and saying, that's okay, we'll meet in homes. That's okay, we'll meet at a coffee shop if it's open. So that's okay, there's a park that's there, it's available. We'll get together there. We'll do it in smaller numbers, make sure we're safe, but we'll still gather together as God's children and as followers of Jesus Christ because that was what was intended. But instead, we just stopped everything. We didn't even continue things within our own single church, much less reach out to other believers of other denominations and say, hey, why don't we just get together in our homes, worship God, read some scripture together. We just stopped. That's very telling. Now, let me read to you what Jesus had to say here. I'm going to read straight from John chapter 17, verses 21 to 23. Jesus is praying, and this is, the, this is right before Jesus was crucified. So you can imagine in his humanity that this wasn't his best time. I can imagine for myself that I would be praying for myself. And I don't think anybody would give me any grief for that, right? I'm about to be crucified. I'd be praying for myself. But let's hear what Jesus had to say. And again, this is just a snippet of a large prayer where Jesus was not praying for himself. He said, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them 
as much as you love me. You have to already be hearing the huge differences. Let's take a quick break to talk about something very important. Are you a church leader that deals with the church's finances? Do you find that a good deal of time is taken up dealing with bookkeeping? It's unavoidable. Between giving, giving statements, bookkeeping, payroll, deductions, direct deposit, your time is precious. It seems like too much time can be swallowed up dealing with these issues while ministry opportunities can be missed. It happens to all of us. Or maybe your situation is one where there just needs to be a change. It's a very big deal to have someone who is fully invested and understands the liabilities involved. Did you know that more money is lost through bad bookkeeping than is spent annually on global missions? That's a true story. These reasons are why I want to tell you about Evermore Financial Services. Evermore Financial is owned and operated by ministry partners. They are both church planters. And that matters because they understand the struggle and have come to specialize in handling church finances. Evermore Financial offers customizable solutions for all church accounting needs, whether it's online giving, giving statements, payroll, direct deposit, payroll deductions, housing allowance, or even W-2s. Whatever the needs are, the staff at Evermore understands and are ready to help. If this sounds like your needs too, whether it's today or three months from now, we want to talk. Your time is valuable to the kingdom and Evermore Financial is here for you. And did I mention that the owners of Evermore Financial actually do care about the financial success of your ministry? They do. They really do. For your peace of mind, Evermore is invested in current technology to make sure that your convenience, privacy, and security are always a top priority. Through our cloud-based accounting software, you can have immediate and always up-to-date access to any of your accounts from anywhere, anytime. Your peace of mind and accessibility are important to us, so we always want you to have easy access to your books. While we can assist any business that is looking to grow, Evermore Financial Services specializes in nonprofits, particularly church planning and operations. Don't just take our word for it. Check out this testimonial from a local church. Evermore Financial Services continues to be a fantastic partner of ours. Not only are they consummate professionals in all of their interactions, but they provide us with a personal touch in helping us to manage and plan our financial strategy. Their attention to detail is a strong point in their process, and they are incredibly proactive, helping us to anticipate and plan for financial events. Their integrity is impeccable. If you have a church, nonprofit, or a small business that could benefit from a financial supporter, you would be well served to partner with Evermore Financial Services. If it sounds like this could be a fit for your needs, let me know. If you're thinking that this might be a need down the road, we want to hear from you. We get it. If you have any questions or you're ready to talk, email me. I am Mike at EvermoreFS.com. That's Mike at E-V-E-R-M-O-R-E-F-S.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. And in the meantime, check us out at EvermoreFS.com. Okay, let's spend a minute in John 17. Let's just analyze that passage just a little bit. Verse by verse, or should say line by line. Jesus said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. Now he's talking about him and the Father being in perfect unity, and he's praying that all of us will have that same unity. And he says, as you're in me, Father, and I'm in you. In other words, again, unity. They're working together as one. And they may be used in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. In other words, that we are supposed to have so much unity that everyone in this world sees that Jesus was sent by the Father. We are far from that. Then Jesus goes on to say, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one again. He's saying it again in the same breath. He wants us to have the same unity he has with the Father. I am in them and you are in me. 
may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now, if there's anything that should encourage us to reach unity, it's that last line to know that the Father loves us as much as he loves Jesus. That sounds ridiculous, right? That the Father would love us as much as he loves Jesus, but that is exactly what Jesus prayed for right before he was going to be brutally murdered for who he was. Unity. Unity so that the world would know that the Father sent Jesus. Unity so much so that we have the same unity that Jesus has with the Father. Unity so that we would know that the Father loves us just like he loves Jesus. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, could you, I mean, just pulling that apart just for one second. Number one, it's hard to even envision that the Christians on this planet could have that much unity. But number two, God loves us as much as he loves the Father. You read that, right? You heard me say that. That's not something I'm making up. That's pretty ridiculous. Ridiculous passage, right? Jesus' love is ridiculous. God's love The Father's love for us is ridiculous by our standards. Look, when I talk about unbranding and unity between churches, I'm not talking about there can be no more Baptist denominations or there can be no more Pentecostals. Those things are fine. There needs to be different expressions, right? Everybody's different. There's not a problem, and in no way am I saying that denominational walls should come down in such a hard way that no one has a denominational affiliation any longer. What I am saying is, though, that we should be in such unity that those denominational walls should not matter to us when it comes to advancing the gospel and building up the kingdom of God. That's it. I hear so much nonsense, you know, like a church just moved into town and planted a church three miles from where we are. We can't work with them. We have to send them a letter to tell them they're not welcome here, right? They might take people from our church and our church will shrink and theirs will grow. When the truth is, the whole time you could have been out doing an evangelism and discipleship yourself, making sure that your church is growing and equipping your people to make sure that they can do the same thing also, but instead you're worried about another church coming to town and taking someone that's yours and your church might shrink and theirs might grow by taking another believer away from you. Do you see how ridiculous it sounds? And how ridiculous does it sound that we can't work together well enough just to make disciples? right? If it's not happening in our own specific church, it doesn't matter to us, right? That's what's happening in our church right now. When we should be so unified that the church that's two miles down the street from us, we should have such a good relationship with them that our outreach, our discipleship should all be unified. We should be working together, not in competition, working together. What we do right now, this competition among churches, is exactly the opposite of what Jesus describes in John 17 when he prayed for our unity. Let me read a little bit of scripture to you. Just some one-offs here. This is mostly stuff from Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul said, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 26, this one's a little bit longer, but it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. Insert Mike's commentary right here. The whole body doesn't just mean your church, okay? So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some of us slaves, and some of us are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body 
wore an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. Again, not talking about your specific church. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require that special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and extra care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes far this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members can care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all those parts are glad. Can you imagine? Again, not just in your church. The entire body of followers of Jesus caring for each other. One part suffering, all the parts suffer. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Harmony among the members. John 3.30, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. In other words, we need to understand as a church that our individuality isn't as important as we think it is. The collective body of believers, Jesus himself, that's where the emphasis needs to be. Not me, not what I want for my church, but being able to say this is what Jesus wants This is what we're going to do moving forward. I don't care what the differences between our churches are, the differences between our beliefs are. If we are followers of Jesus, the little things should not matter so much. And you know what I'm talking about, right? We can't work with that church down the street. Oh, why? Well, number one, they might be, I think they're Presbyterian and they do sprinkle baptism. We can't. I mean, we believe in immersion. I mean, that's definitely biblical. So we can't We can't handle, we can't work with them because they sprinkle. Or, oh no, not them. They speak in tongues. We can't work with them. We don't believe that's for today. That's not for our time. That's unbiblical. We can't talk to them. Or, hmm, they meet in a house? They have church in a house? Is that even really church? We shouldn't, we shouldn't talk to them. Or, well, they do high church. Like they do repetition and they worship that way. I don't know if that's really genuine worship. That's not That's not how we do. We believe in genuine worship. We can't put up with that. We can't work with them. Or they planted a church right down the street from us. How dare they? They're in our territory. Only to later on decide, we're going to plant a church. Make sure it's a good five, six miles away from us, but within a five-mile stretch of several other churches. You see what I'm talking about here? This is This is not me just being a jerk. This is, this is pointing out all the nonsense that we use to keep us from being unified with other believers in Jesus Christ. Now, if there's, a, if there's a church that believes that salvation is through Jesus, but it's also through Mary, and um, you also have to earn it. Now, it's a little bit different. Okay, we have a different issue there. But those who believe that rendering of salvation is by faith alone, by grace, yeah, then I don't care. Do they, do they sprinkle? Do they meet in a house? Do they like to read scripture together as a church? Do they, do they have a priest that reads a prayer to them and they repeat some stuff back? It doesn't matter. We're all followers of Jesus Christ. We should be making disciples together, reaching the lost together, taking care of the community together, meeting the needs of those people around us together. And heaven forbid, if there's a shutdown again, and we don't reach out to the other believers around us, whether or not they're part of our denomination or part of our church or not, and we don't work with them to move the gospel forward or to just gather together and worship God together, we're missing the mark. We need to unbrand our hearts. We need to unbrand our brains and get this idea out of our head that if someone's a different denomination, that we can't work with them. 
We need to be unified. We need to pray for unification and not just pray. We need to believe in it and act on it because that's what Jesus wanted. Right before he was about to be murdered, he didn't pray for himself. He prayed for us that we would find unification. This has been the Church 2060 Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe and you will be notified when new episodes drop. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, I am at Church 2060 Online. And until next time, may hope and peace be with you.